What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast, and this episode is specific to our Whitetail series. The Whitetail series contains 27 episodes, 9 for the early season, which are already out, 9 for the pre-rut and rut, and 9 for the late season. This episode is part of our pre-rut and rut portion, and we're going to be talking scrapes, rubs, bedding areas, food plots, pinch points, funnels, um, morning sits, evening sits, all day sits, calling, decoys, all sorts of crazy stuff that happens during the rut and fun tactics, ground hunting, like the spot and stalk. There's just a ton of stuff to go about. This is my favorite part of the season. So I hope you guys really enjoy these episodes. I think we're even going to have 10 or 11 in this just because of the rut's so much fun and there's a lot of people I got to talk to. Also, this Whitetail series is brought to you by Arrow Hunter Saddles and Onyx Hunt. If you're in the market for a tree saddle, definitely check out Arrow Hunter. They make a phenomenal tree saddle. It's extremely comfortable, very adjustable, made right here in the U.S. I've found them to be the most comfortable for me and um, and I just really like them. So if you use the code DVAIN10, you'll get 10% off your order. And uh, they should be actually shipping. They just came out with a new one here in the Mer- the Merlin, uh, but they should be shipping here pretty soon, uh, getting a whole lot more in stock. Of course, during season, almost all the saddle companies are pretty much out because they're so popular now. But definitely check out Arrow Hunter Saddles if you're looking into it. Uh, on a- as far as Onyx Hunt goes, everybody should know about them. You know, they're the they're like the premium GPS mapping app. They give you public and private land boundaries. They give you landowner information. They give you hybrid maps, topo maps, satellite maps, waypoints. They work offline. It's just a phenomenal app. I pretty much find myself using it every day during the hunting season. So again, if you're in the market for a saddle or looking at a GPS app, please check out Arrow Hunter Saddles and uh, Onyx. And without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. So we got Dylan Lenz on from the breaking point. Um, we've had Dylan on before with Brennan and, uh, they gave a ton of good stuff and it was, that was, that used to be my highest, uh, my highest listened episode. Um, but now the, awesome. uh, maybe, maybe we can beat out, um, Aaron Warbritton and, and Zach Farrenbaugh. They're, they're currently, I don't think on. so. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Like I was just telling Unger, like you've had some big names on here in the last, you know, a couple months. It's like, dang, like, I, I don't know how you followed up with Dylan Lenz during the rut. Like people are like, I don't know who that guy is, but like, <laughs> hey, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pitching you a softball. Cause I got this goon named Scott Spitzley on before you. <laughs> oh, all right. Perfect. Oh, if I'm following him up, him up, we're, we're fine. <laughs> Yeah, I just talked to him like a night or two ago. So he'll uh Oh awesome. Yeah. No, um, yeah, talking to Scott was good. But uh but for everyone who doesn't know Dylan, um just tell tell him quickly what you do and, and what you guys have going on. I I film stuff. Um I, I produce the breaking point with uh, Mike and Brennan. I spend the majority of my time behind the camera, behind the computer, editing stuff. I film for uh jeff sturgis at whitetail habitat solutions i'm his video guy and i pick up gigs wherever i can uh fill in gaps to be in the woods with my camera that's basically what i like doing and like filming deer stuff so right so between spending like essentially your entire hunting season in the woods and then your entire off season filming and talking to jeff you know like like your brain is full of stuff and i'm gonna try to pull it out of you (laughs) Yeah. So uh, yeah. And that's funny. Cause it's like, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like work. Like, obviously I love what I do. Right. But like, there's certain times where it's just like, I'm deered out. Like, I just want to like talk about anything but deer, you know, <laughs> but like now time of year where that is all I'm thinking about when I'm working, when I'm not working, it's literally just ingrained. So yeah, I mean, it, it it's fun doing what I do. And even in the off season, I love it. Don't get me yeah. Wrong. No, and I actually, so earlier this year, I had Dylan, Dylan swing down to our new property. He walked with me, took some photos and all that. And you mentioned like popping out the drone and taking some photos and stuff. I was like, ah, not this time. You know, we got other things to do, yada, yada, yada. My dad was like, oh, I really want to do that. He calls me up the other day. He goes, man, the colors are looking great. Can you get your buddy down here to pop up with the drone? I was like, (laughs) yeah, he's a little busy right now. (laughs) Oh, man. You have no idea. So the six packs and racks guys are probably a little sour because I have not been on a six packs and racks podcast in a month and a half, something like that. But it's just the way the times keep falling. I'm always filming or driving or, you know, it's like the yeah. times just have not lined up. So 
I was supposed to be on one last night, got held up filming with Jeff, didn't make the podcast. Tonight I'm here sitting with you and it's like, <laughs> sorry guys. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it, yeah. It's just that time of year and it has been that time of year. So it is, it's, it's chaos. I, I appreciate you making the time. I, I know, I know we've been trying to coordinate this back and forth. You're like, dude, I got, I got a week in here. Can we make it fall somewhere in this? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, so to just uh, jump into it real quick, if you guys don't know Jeff Sturgis, like look him up, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. He has a ton of awesome content, um, so he he's really good. But but for sure, find Breaking Point TV, um, free content on YouTube, and the quality. That's how I found you guys. Is the quality of like the cinematography and everything is phenomenal. Like you guys do a great job, and I know a lot of it's you, but just Thanks just in general, like. It is. It's not that shaky handy cam stuff that a lot of people have on YouTube. It's it is premium footage. So we try to do a pretty good mix of you know good footage and also real stories as they happen. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's certain times when the cinematography isn't up to our standards, but that's the way it happened and that's the way the stories needs to be told. So I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's a good good mix of all of that. Right. Yeah. Um. So. Anyway, uh, hopping into, well, we're pretty much, this this podcast is going to air early November, so we're pretty much out of the pre-rut. We're flying into the full-on rut, and I know Dylan has to run to dinner. I have to get packing for a hunt, so we're trying to just fit this in here. Um, so we're going to try to make it quick, jump straight to the point. In the rut, where are you and the guys? Like, What are you guys keying in on? What are you looking for, and, and how are you setting up? I'm big on travel corridors so trying to be where you think a deer is going to be moving through rather than stopping feeding bedding that sort of thing so like i want to be where a buck is coming off of a doe to find another doe or just going to find does in general basically being in a spot where i think okay a buck would come through here trying to locate his next doe you know so i mean I really like, for example, I hunt in Western Wisconsin, big hills. So you want to be on a, you know, a corridor between, okay, there's a, you know, big top over here with flat on it that there's deer bedding on it. And maybe it bends around. There's another big flat up here that deer bedding on in between that. It might be steep, but there's probably a really good bench trail. I love hunting those kind of movements where, you know, you have a solid wind either in the, in the evening going down, if you can sneak into that area. Or in the morning, if you're working the thermals and you're above those deer, can blow your thermals above those deer, waiting for those deer to cruise through there. You know, I mean, it's just, you, you just sit there in the all morning. It's like any minute it's going to happen. There's going to be deer that goes and bumps that bedding area and then comes through here to bump the next one. Like those are my favorite spots to, to be in this time of year coming up here in early November. Okay. So those, yeah, those travel routes between bedding areas not necessarily on the bedding area specifically or anything like that just like that trail that connects them yep and i can think of several hunts you know just within the last couple years where that has worked out in my favor i think a lot of people think it's the rut i want to get really aggressive and get into these areas where i shouldn't be any other time of year and i would like to play it a little bit more conserved than that i mean obviously we push the envelope now and then if the wind's good or you know ending a trip and getting into an area that okay last ditch effort but if you're trying to conserve your property if you're hunting a consistent property being able to get in and out without putting too much pressure on your property i think is really important yeah okay so then what makes um like getting in and out what makes that what makes a premium entry and exit route? Like, what are you looking for to be able to sneak into that travel corridor? Oh man. Be able to sneak out. I was literally just talking to Ryan about this, but like when you are going in and out of the woods, it's like, I'm angry the entire time because you know, every step you take is making noise and leaving scent in an area on your property that you do not want to leave scent or make noise. So I want to walk a field edge that I know deer aren't bedding up against and then a straight line up to my stand perpendicular to the deer movement so that you're not walking along a trail that, you know, the deer walk on or, you know, along a bedding area. I want to walk through a non deer area where I don't think there's deer near and then cut a straight line to that stand and hope that no deer 
cross that path soon after you're there or while you're there, obviously. But like, sure. that's the worst feeling in the world is knowing that you are doing things you shouldn't be doing in an area you shouldn't be doing them. So like, I, that's, that's my whole thing is like, I've been hunting solid here with Unger for the past, I think six, seven days. And you know, you just think about that scent web that you're leaving out there every day. And it's like, man, how many deer have walked across where we've walked across and now know that we're here. Now this area is pressured. And now maybe those deer aren't as comfortable being in these areas that I want deer to be comfortable in. So I think a lot of people kind of overlook that and think, oh, I got in clean. I didn't spook any deer. Well, you're spooking deer after you leave, even just by making that or leaving that scent or making that noise. Maybe there were deer a little ways off that you couldn't see but heard you and it's the stuff that keeps me up at night <laughs> yeah 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 so uh, a few different questions on that one how long do you think that that like scent sticks around because i know some people like are like ah it's been you know a couple days like bucks coming through there shouldn't smell me at all but then obviously like uh, uh 10 minutes after you've been there they're gonna smell you so do you have any idea like how long it takes for that to really fade. I think it's, it's arbitrary. And I think it, it, like, I think it depends on your neighboring properties and all that. Like you think about it, like, okay, your property, if you are hunting it, you're out, you're taking your rutcation, you're going to be there for a week solid. And you walk in and out to four or five different stands. And maybe you hunt a couple of those stands, the same, you know, the same stands, different times. Those, you, those trails are through the woods there where a deer could walk over that six, seven hours, yeah, I don't know how long I'm, they have incredible noses, but they walk over that and they smell something that's not supposed to be there. And they think, oh, I don't like that. You know, it's maybe they don't leave your property, but in their travels, they come onto your neighbor's land and your neighbor's not up there hunting and they don't smell anything. But there's going to be more comfortable in those areas where he doesn't have to cross a bunch of paths of human scent coming in and out. In my opinion, sure. like that's why I think a lot of people, you know, they get there and then they see less and less deer throughout the week of their vacation or their season. It's just those deer key on when you're there and know that, okay, well, I'm going to move into the next Valley and the neighbors, because I know that that guy's not in there and that they don't think that way, but in their mind, it just makes sense. They're in an area where there's less of a threat. Right. No. And I can definitely see that happening with people who take rut rutcations and, and hunt a property consistently for four or five, six, seven days straight. And, um, and maybe on like the fourth day, they're getting a little aggressive and they get into an area and that buck has already kind of caught wind of them once or twice, you know, at 11 PM yes. or 1 AM or something. And then he finally gets a decent wind of you. I mean, he like, he's likely out, especially if the neighbor's not hunting. Yep. So yep. my neighboring property Absolutely. where I'm going to be hunting this for the next few days, he doesn't hunt until gun season. So like that's one of my fears is, but the, my only saving grace is it's my property, then his, and then the public. So like, okay, you know, they're going to be pushed off the public for sure. It's getting pressure. Yeah. 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 So right. maybe my pressure. That's, will be less. that's what you think about. It's like, yeah. And that, that's what you want. I, in my opinion, like, so for example, right now in our hunt, we got, we had North winds for the few, first few days of our hunt. So we were hunting an area of our property that we had stand set up for North winds. And we were in there, you know, three days in a row, you know, sneaking in, sneaking out, hunting the fringes. You know, we had to get in a little bit and we had a deer cross our trail. He's a nice two-year-old came in and he hit our trail. He stopped. He sniffed right where our boot tracks were. He didn't like it. He didn't hate it. We just turned around, went right back the way he came. He didn't blow. He didn't, you know, it's just those deer know that that's not supposed to be there. So yeah, or it hasn't been the there wind for a long back time. to that. Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, then we had south winds for the past couple of days. So we weren't in that area for three, four days. So then we went back in there this morning because we had a north wind again. And we see we saw two of our shooters today again. So I think if we would have been in there pounding that area, we wouldn't have likely seen those deer because the deer wouldn't have been comfortable in that area. But they had a few days to recuperate. You know, those does are probably moving through there every day being comfortable again. So I think like there's that it's just peaks and valleys when, when those yeah. deer are likely going to, going to be there. So you kind of got to play that and think, think about that ahead of time. So in a scenario, in that scenario, so you got those North winds, if you would have seen, you know, one of the shooters, right. And he was just out of range or he was just in the brush or whatever. 
and that was Wednesday and Thursday was a south wind. Would you go in there and try to set up in there for a south wind hunting that same trail just on the other side? Or would you just vacate the area? Because because if you go in there with a south wind, your your entry, you're gonna cross that trail. Right? Right. And I think that I mean that's a pretty specific scenario, but I mean we we haunted up there, I think three mornings in a row. We had a north wind. We went to a different area of the property and hunted thinking like, okay, we'll give this area a break. We're going to get south winds. We'll give this area four, four days off. Yeah. We pulled the card there today yeah. from, you know, it was there the whole time we were gone. The morning that we gave that area off, we had a shooter on camera at eight in the morning. It's like, <laughs> oh, here we are. You know, it, it doesn't work out exactly the way, you know, it's not black and white all the time. You know, that yeah. deer just never came in from a direction where he never crossed our trails and went out a direction where he never crossed our trails. So, I mean, and he might I don't have been know that there. I would necessarily, yeah, he might've been in there. You no, know, I'm sorry. I whenever, was say, but I mean, he might've been in there because it was a South wind rather than a North wind. Right. Right. And that's just it. It's like, I don't, I, I think it's, you're going back to your original question. I don't think like it's, I it's, it's dependent on every situation, but I don't yeah. think that I would do that, especially on a property like we have here. Um, I'm not big into hanging banging on a property like this. I mean, it's only 140 acres. We should have stands wherever we need stands hung. Sure. Um, in my opinion, like obviously there's certain scenarios, but like that's just an area that we kind of write off as that's a north wind area because you know on a south wind it's going to blow out these bedding areas and th- th- that sort of thing. So kind of hunting around that the whole time one of the things that I'm getting at without saying it. And I just like cross my mind, like, this is what I'm actually thinking is for those guys who only have like one or two stands, right. Every hunter kind of starts out with like, and you hear it every single year. Like I go to my stand, right. And they have like one stand or two stands. Right, right. It's, it's a much better option to give that stand a break than hunt it on a bad wind or try to hunt that area on a bad wind. Like go sit just somewhere else on the entire property. Just go somewhere else and just let it sit. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And that's and what that's you guys so did. hard because I mean, I, yeah. And, and that's the tough part because I mean, like us, you could have a, your one or two trail cams in there. You have one watching one stand, one watching the other stand. Those are your two stands. And the day you go sit this one because of the wind that bucks over here. And it's like, that makes you want to rethink it but it's like, it's a game of chess, right? It's like, okay, he was there this time, but now he's comfortable in there again. So next time I get a good wind, I'm going to go hunt there and hope that he's comfortable coming in there again, you know, on this wind that's advantageous to my entry and my sit. So like, that's kind of the way I think about it. Like, I don't want to push the envelope ever unless it's the last day of the hunt and I don't care anymore. Like, you know, that kind of thing where it's all in last ditch effort. So, and, and that's, that's a great point is essentially you're only hunting spots that are advantageous to you. And if they're not advantageous right. to you via your entry route, via your wind, um, via thermals, then you're not hunting them. Then you're finding a different, a different place to hunt that is advantageous to you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And that's, that's just it. And that's why I like, I like having so many options. I mean, we have 140 acres here and i think we have 16 stands on it so it's like we have stands for okay this wind in our property is set up but just the way our property lies we get west winds and that's terrible for the way our property is we just have west facing bluffs so it's like that's blowing up into all our bedding areas so yeah west winds are hard to hunt on our property and unfortunately you get a lot of those winds so then you're hunting fringe throwaway stands where it's like not an observation sit but like kind of a i'm just going to go here to basically get my blue ribbon for the night my participation trophy and maybe something will happen in my favor but i'm not ruining one of my good areas and i'm waiting for that better wind to get into those good areas yeah and i'm experiencing that and you've been to my property so our, our property sets up terribly for a south wind Cause we are only entries from the South. Yep. I haven't made good enough friends with the neighbor yep. to the North yet to get that permission to come in from his property. Um, 
but uh right but yeah so essentially you know on south winds like i i have a south wind on saturday i'll be hunting friday and i have a south wind on saturday and then i have a north wind again on sunday and uh i'm thinking for that south wind i'm just gonna bop over to the public and go see what i can find i I scouted it a year ago but at least i'm not ruining you know the opportunity at my at my sit on my property exactly yeah yeah it's like you look at your property almost like i don't know you look at it when it's 100 percent fresh right and it's like i don't want to go in there and waste that you know let's say you're at 100 percent, and you go in there and you don't see anything but you left your scent and blew your wind in an area well now your property is only at 80 percent. you know you know unpressured is kind of the way i would mm-hmm. look at it like that so like I, I would rather just keep it at a hundred percent and wait for a good wind to get in there. So yeah, having those other options and being able to jump on public pieces is huge. Yeah. I think the only other, I think a lot of those guys who, who hunt their property, you know, four or five, six days in a row and, and they hunt them on, on what kind of whatever wind and you work your way around. And I I'm guilty of it for sure. I, I do it too. You know, I, I'm like, well, maybe I can squeak through here. You know, as long as the deer don't come through yep. here at this time frame, I might be able to squeak this one out. Um, and yep. get around them before they get there or whatever on a South wind. Uh, but I think the saving grace during the rut is you get bucks who've never been on the property before. So you get passed through bucks Absolutely. in those very specific yep. travel corridors and they don't know. Right. And that's, and that's, I'm going to, I'll take a, a page out of Jeff's playbook right now, who I will give a shout out to just killed one of his target bucks a couple of Did hours he? ago. So like huge shout out. This guy's been bought a new property in Minnesota. Been, he, it was always in the past history speaking with old landowners it was a summer property. They never killed good bucks in the fall because the bucks left in the fall. He changed his whole property around, long story short, killed one of the bucks that he had on camera all summer. So was it that one for Jeff? It was, um, is there one with the name of the Y? This one's name is Kermit. Um, yeah, yeah. Not big, I would, but he killed Kermit. I mean, oh my God. That thing's a tank. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm happy for him. Super Jack. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to film it or see it in person, but uh, still happy for him. Nonetheless, did he get it on film a page out of his playbook? Yes. He had his steps on there filming. Yeah. Pretty sweet. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, Taking a page out of his playbook for, for the rut is, you know, you run trail cameras all year and you have those bucks that are nocturnal in, august you know with that all of a sudden disappear once season starts and man he was here this summer where'd he go now is the time when you could potentially be seeing those deer daylight on your property it's in their wheelhouse they know the property they know it's safe that's just not where they're they're homing at so now during the rut when they're getting amped up and seeking does they can go for a long way before they get on the does that they want so all of a sudden that's when they're going to swing through your properties you know november 3rd on a crisp morning holy smokes here's this deer that i haven't seen since july or since august and here yeah. is daylight coming through my property so like that's now's the time to kind of have those deer encounters and i'm i'm honestly looking forward to that because i don't have on my all my cameras i think my biggest buck this year is maybe brushing like brushing 140 and i know the area has potential i know there's got to be that four and a half five and a half year old one 160 170 in the area you know within a mile or so but he's just not on my property but i'm hoping he's gonna we have a valley right that valley i mean you've seen it so yeah i am hoping he's gonna cruise through that valley going up it or down it looking and i'm just gonna be in the right spot at the right time yeah my number one spot that's kind of this is uh where when we're walking through the woods so my property lays out it's a south hillside and a north hillside with a creek rolling down Mm -hmm. the middle of it and the northeast hillside of the property is really thick. And when Dylan and I were walking through there, you were like, 
dude, you really need to like figure out how to hunt this because <laughs> this is where the deer are going to be. This is the travel corridor. You need to cut a lane through here and you need to figure out how to hunt this. And I did, I, I figured out a good spot on it. Um, and I'm going to, I have a spot for it and I'll be, that's where I'll be hunting. And essentially the, between the Creek and we actually have cl like cliffs on our property. So not just like big Hills, like straight up rock cliffs that goats would be on. And, uh, in between the Creek and those cliffs is only about like 60 yards. So I can get in there and I can pretty much shoot dang near. Every, I mean, the trails don't go all the way up to the cliffs. So, I mean, 50 yards and less, if, yep. if it goes through there, I should be able to get an opportunity. Awesome. That's so sweet. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. That's so cool about like having a piece of property that you, I mean, you guys own it so you can hunt it year after year, you know, I mean, that that's awesome to be able to see and now learn year after year. I know they actually are wrapping it here more often than they're wrapping it here. So I need to get a lane there. Maybe I can move my stand here a little bit. That changes my access for my better. So like being able to dial in year after year and kind of like rethink those sets is in my opinion, like what it's all about when you own property, you know, even if you're on public land and you have, you know, your, your honey holes that you can hunt every year, like just kind of tuning in on those and honing down where you need to be and where the deer travel. That's what it's all about. That's what yeah. I love. So it, to, to that end, that's a great point too, because, uh, one of the big themes, there's a few big themes throughout all these podcasts and, and the, the people who kill the most bucks that are on this podcast talk about historical data. I mean, that is like, they don't specifically come out and say it, but they mention it over and over and over again in one way or another. Yep. And, um, yep. so to, to that end, how have you ever hunted a property for a year, two years, three years, and just been like, I know, I think there's good deer here, but it just never pans out. And then you're just like, you know, this isn't a good property. Cause if, if I'm like, and it happened to me, like I hunted pieces of public year over year for two yep. years. And I didn't have like any luck. The trail cameras weren't showing a whole lot. And I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this piece. I'm moving on. And what do you do in those scenarios? And how, or how long do you give it before you're like, all right, this ain't any good. So we're, we're kind of in that situation right now. Ryan okay. and I have switched leases and properties that we've hunted every year for the last, I think, six, seven years now. It's just <sighs> hopping around. We don't like this piece. We lost this piece. We had permission here. Now we don't have permission here. Now we're on a lease. We had it last year. We kept it into this year. Last year, we did not get a single four-year-old photo daylight throughout the entire year. We had one picture of a four-year-old that I'm thinking of off the top of my head middle of the night on a very corner of our property. That was it. So, but we saw potential in, okay, well, if these two and three-year-olds are here, obviously they're going to get older. They're not going to get kicked out. They're going to be comfortable here. It's just kind of a fringe property that has one good uh, ridge on it and it touches two other ridges, but it doesn't get quite to the top of these ridges where it's like, man, if I could only get to the top, that's where the bucks are. So we're hunting these fringes and the shooters that we saw today, we saw two of our shooters. We're hunting the very North end of our piece. That's where it doesn't get to the top of the Ridge. We're there. These bucks maybe spent the first one we saw this morning, maybe spent two minutes on our property, but that's the two minutes we needed. Yeah. Fortunately, we didn't have a lane where he came through. He came through an area we weren't expecting to. He came in downwind, crossed our path. Did not expect it to go the way it did, but he just kept cruising. And then he went off onto the neighbors. He he was literally on our property for two minutes. It's like, we are that fringe property, but being able to capitalize on that is all we need. So, right. I mean, every situation is obviously different. Um, but this property specifically for us, I think is going to work out for the long term because we have those opportunities to get in those areas where, you're not going to see bucks consistently all the time, but during the pre-rut, when you have pictures of deer once in a while on your property, you know that you're part of their loop. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set up uh, as close as I can to where I think he's going to be on our property and then move off. 
and that that's that's what we did last year we killed two bucks on our property last year that way i mean they were both three-year-olds we haven't killed a mature deer on this farm yet we have some pictures of them this year and here we've been hunting the last six seven days and we've seen five of our five shooters this year so it's like awesome. they're here we just need them to be where we are <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that that's the toughest part we we haven't spooked any of them. We haven't blown any of them out. I'm sure us being on the property for six, seven days has not helped them be on our property more as it's a fringe property, but that's all we have to work with right now. So that's what we're working with. And we're just trying to be in an area that we think a deer might just hop on our property, roll through cruising, and then he hops off onto the neighbors. We're not holding these bucks. There's We, have, we do have one ridge that I'm sure holds good bucks, but we don't pressure that area. That's kind of like our sanctuary, but okay. we hunt these areas, these cruising paths that we talked about earlier that are between bedding areas, between bedding and food, trying to get to spots where we can kind of hunt them and not pressure them in a way. So back to the original question that you asked, I would say um, if, if you're, I would give a property a few years before you say this property sucks. I'm out. Like, okay. Give it a couple of years, learn how the deer are using it and learn how to use that to your advantage because they might be using a corner of it, a couple corners of it. You might use one ridge on the property. They might run one swamp line through your property and just learn that and know how to capitalize on it, I guess would be my way of telling yeah. people to deal with that kind of issue, you know, okay. have other options too. It would be my thing. Like you said before, being able to just go jump on a piece of public land is huge like this year uh i think i've bought one for the past couple of years um i bought fort mccoy tags because we're right here in mm -hmm. sparta it's like uh i i haven't been hunting but i have that option where if i'm burning out my farm and i get some bad winds not able to hunt those good spots i'll just go hunt some public for the night and spend a night in the woods and if i get lucky awesome you know i think yeah. that's a huge huge deal is having those options sure so even on the property that you're hunting right now, it is, it is just those travel corridors. You're, you're staying out of that quote unquote sanctuary, which is that like bedding area essentially. So what is, yeah, I mean, we is, have, we have, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, what go is ahead, staying out of that? that? Is it like, yeah, for everyone listening, there's like, I don't know, a two second lag here or something like that. So Dylan and I are like overlapping each other a little bit, but sorry about that. It's Iowa internet. It, it just sucks. It doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, the, uh, so what is like quote unquote staying out of that bedding area? If, if people have a bedding area on their property, they know it's there and they don't want to pressure those deer, but they, but they see bucks going in and out of there or, or they know like that's where their cameras are. Like, are you staying like a hundred yards away, 50 yards away, 200 yards away? I would say a minimum of a hundred if you have decent cover, but you got to know like deer see better than you think deer see deer smell better than you think deer smell and deer hear better than you think they hear. So like you might think you got out clean, but the, there might've been some does bedded on that edge of that bedding area that saw you heard you smelled you get out of there. And now that makes them want to bet a little bit deeper in that sanctuary that you think you have. And that shrinks the size of that sh sanctuary then. Well, that might pressure some of the bucks that were back further in there. They got to go find another area because now it's too crowded. The does are ruling that roost and the bucks, they don't want to deal with that pressure. So they just go somewhere else. So that's kind of the way that I picture it is like, you have this area, stay out of it. And when you, I say stay out of it, like, don't let them see you. Don't let them hear you. Don't let them smell you. So that's really tough, especially on small parcels. But it's something that you almost have to sacrifice a portion of that sanctuary and think this whole area I'm not going into. This area here is where I think the deer are betting. So I'm giving them a pretty good buffer. Or at least I think I am. I mean, you probably still have deer bed in that buffer area. And those are probably the fawns, four corns, you know, the small, the smaller deer that still have yet to learn hey that's bad i need to stay away from that <laughs> where you know like yeah. then you have that real sanctuary that is a lot smaller than what you call your sanctuary in my yeah opinion. no I, I i think that's a great point and 
I'm trying to keep this on the rut topic, but you keep bringing up great points because sometimes when you're going into an area, you bump a fawn or you bump like a fork because they just they bed wherever wherever they feel like it. They don't yeah. bed in like safe. Yeah, we areas. bumped a fawn on the way in tonight. Yep. Yeah, and it's like I, I look at it like it's inevitable in certain areas. Like that, you can't count on that. You can't count on where those fawns are going to bed. And we've all had where you're in there and then these fawns come in and they're right downwind of you. And it's like, well, I fooled them. And it's like, they just don't know yet that you're a threat, (laughs) but now they know something's in there and they're acting different. And they're now, you know, acting different other deer, like, okay, those young deer are acting different. They know something's up. There's definitely something up, you know, and you might've fooled them they didn't blow or run off but they're acting different they, you know they're flicking their tail or you know it's it's the demeanor of those deer is how they communicate you know that's i think a, a, another big point that not a lot of people talk about is deer communicate in a lot of different ways and i think just a deer looking at another deer that's how they communicate is they see that deer's actions and can say okay that deer's spooked I'm not going over there and I'm not going to go over there for a while. Cause I know that that deer was spooked or I heard that deer was spooked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I, I also would say that that is like, if you have a four corn down below you or something like that, that's, you know, in four years, that's the deer you're trying to kill and they have a memory. Right. Right. They, they know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, and sure. all of a sudden they figure out that, that, had- that scent that, that they smelt a year ago is what killed that other one and it's danger. Then they're like, Oh yeah, uh, I smelt that over here. I should probably not go over there now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, so what other, what other, like, do you, do you rattle? Do you grunt? Do you guys try decoys at all? Have you ever had any success with any of that during the rut? Rattling? No. Decoy? No. Yes grunting grunting is in my opinion like that's the most the least intrusive way to try and call a deer the most intrusive that will go in wisconsin is a snortwees and we did that the other night didn't work and <laughs> we didn't spook the deer but it, it it's 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 a, such a risk because you have to know that deer's personality basically in my opinion like okay this deer is actually going to take up a challenge and want to kick this other deer's butt like that's the risk you're taking versus ah, I don't want to deal with that right now. You know? So I like a grunt is almost just like a, Hey, what's up? You know, Hey, I'm here. You know, like that's kind of, I'm sure, you know, there's different, there's tending grunts. There's, you know, challenge grunts yeah. or whatever. The most aggressive I would go in Wisconsin is a snort wheeze. I don't think rattling is a good idea here. I don't think decoys are a good idea here. I'm sure there are listeners here going, I use decoys and it worked. I, yeah, but it hasn't worked for me. So uh, that's just <laughs> kind of where I'm at. And I've tried it a couple of times. I really want to film that someday, you know, buck coming all postured up to a decoy. I don't think that's going to happen in Wisconsin, at least not where I hunt. Um, well, we can, we've we grunted can, at, we can sacrifice my sorry, property one 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 year and we'll we'll go throw oh, yeah. a decoy under those power lines and see what the hell happens yep <laughs> and that's that's just it it's like i yeah i will i just want to see that word they get pissed off and they want to fight that's what i want to see but that's again you're taking that risk of want of finding and showing that decoy to that deer that is in that mood and has that demeanor already and it's you can't change it once the decoy's up you can't change this. You might see a deer and know he's submissive based on past encounters or something. And you're just screwed. It's like, oh, he's <laughs> going to bust when he sees that. Or those does are going to come out and they're not going to like it. And it's like, yeah, a lot of people will get lucky using decoys. And I, I shouldn't say getting lucky because there's skill behind it. I haven't learned that skill. I like <laughs> grunting at deer. And I only yeah. grunt at deer if they're not going the direction I need them to go. I'm not, I don't see a deer that's coming my way and grunt at him. It's if I know he's going to fringe me or he's going to walk the other way or he turns the other way. I grunt until he hears me. I'm not throwing out loud grunts, you know, Hey, I'm over here. You know, come yeah. mess with me. It's like I, I, gr- 
a perfect example is my hunt last year in Wisconsin. Grunted soft, grunted a little louder, grunted a little louder. He never turned his head. I grunted a little bit louder. He turned his head and I put my grunt call down. I just wanted to grunt till he heard something that he's like, is there another deer? I think that was another deer, you know? And then he whips around and he has to come investigate. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at in Wisconsin. And I'm sure it's different for everybody in every situation. That's the way I do it in the area that I hunt where it's pressured. There's a lot of other hunters that are probably out there rattling. They're probably snort weaving at deer that are probably grunting aggressively at deer. So that's kind of know your area and learn it. You know, obviously it's all trial and error. So, I mean, yeah. we snort wheezed at one of our shooters the other night because the grunt stopped him. He turned, he looked, he didn't want anything to do it. Went back to feeding. Well, let's challenge him. Let's see if he wants to fight. He didn't want to fight. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, um, okay. No, that's, that's good. I had a, I had a question rolling here and I just forgot what it was. Um, oh gosh. It had something to do with grunting. Um, oh, it was it has nothing to do with grunting um i wanted to talk about scra- <laughs> i wanted to talk about scrapes um so like i mean you're hunting travel go- corridors mainly right and in the pre-rut kind of that mid-october to late october scrapes are a hot topic and you can get su- lucky on them do you do you hunt scrapes during the rut or do you just kind of abandon them and go to the travel corridor route and just straight up go there um on, on the properties that we hunt, I would say 80% of them have mock scrapes on them. And that's no matter where it is. Okay. Just because it's such a, such a social thing. I mean, I just picture like a fire hydrant for a dog to whiz on. Like they're going to go up and sniff it regardless of where it is in their habitat. So having that on a trail cor- travel corridor isn't a bad thing. So like even on our travel corridor sets, we have that and it's just, we have sometimes they stop and they hit it and they dig it up. There's other times that they go through, they literally lift their head and sniff it and keep moving. It's, it, it depends on that deer's mood, I think, but we hunt those almost every time we sit. Cause we have them at almost every stand we sit. That said, I think once you get into this peak rut timing, natural scrapes really shut off. Okay. They're, they're, I think they're too busy to keep up with it and they're too busy to care. They went yeah. and they laid all their scent and their sign the last week of October during the pre-rut to let everyone know where there is at, where they're at. And then the first week of November, it gets into the peak rut and they might not be in those areas anymore. So what do they care if they're in an area where another buck's scrapes are at and they're in there and that buck's not there either because he's off chasing those somewhere else. So it's almost like, that's kind of the way I think about it. I don't know if that's the way it actually works in a deer's head. That's the way I've made sense of it is like there there's too much going on in their lives right now for them to go and keep up on that. And you might have where a buck's in a mood where he's making a scrape angrily, just, you know, basically posturing and showing off, you know, or making rubs that way. And I, I, I don't think those mean a lot once you get into that peak rut time, you know, okay. once, once things taper off and you get, in the post rut and you, those deer kind of get back into their areas again, I think that's when that picks back up. But there's a couple weeks there where I don't think it's, I don't think that's where it's at. Okay. I, I have, I have a very similar theory on that. I mean, and it, it kind of like they work the scrapes until arbitrary date is November 1st. And then from November 1st to like the yep. 15th, they're too busy chasing does. They're too busy getting after yeah you know, those ladies. And then after the, but 15th, I'm sure they hit them. It's yeah. They, it's just not like they're hitting them religiously or re- running a scrape line. It's just, yeah. Oh yeah, this is here. And I have a minute. I got a whiz anyway. You know, it's almost like that <laughs> in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the 15th, you know, I think they're like, all right, I can't really find a whole lot of hot does anymore. Let's go check some scrapes. Maybe a hot dough piston one. Yes. And yeah, then exactly. Right. And then it's a scarcity thing and they're like, all right, maybe I can find yep. one. Um, yep. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So but then, I, I would say too, yeah, just to continue on that, 
hunting those scrapes is still a good idea in my point because that's still a line of travel. So those deer are still using those areas because they're comfortable in them. Whether or not they stop and make that scrape and, you know, pose for the camera, they're still rolling through there. And you're saying that, and that's because like scrapes are made in like natural travel corridors. Yeah. Or in areas that deer are comfortable being in. Right. Do you think there's like, so do you think like field edge scrapes are still worth sitting or more of like travel route scrapes are worth sitting? Yeah, I guess I would, I don't, I don't hunt a lot of field edges. So I guess I don't even like, I don't think about them that way. Okay. Yeah. I would say more travel corridors. Okay. And I, I bring that up just because I know people that will still sit a scrape on November 8th on the edge of a cornfield. And yeah, it's, it's, it's different. And I'm not saying those don't work. It's if it's like in the corner of a cornfield and they're passing from like one wood lot to another, and it's a natural travel area, that's going to be a great spot. But if it's on yeah. a 500 acre field and just right out on one of the edges with, for no apparent reason, there's a scrape that they made in, at 2 AM one night, it's probably not your best option. You can find a better Agreed. spot than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what about, all right, then this is the last thing. Cause I know we got to hop off here. What about um, full day sits? And all day sets. Like, how do you do? You guys do those? How do you do them? Do you move? Do you get down half day? Um, once in a while, we'll plan a full day sit. A lot of it is like we're gonna sit all day if the action is good. Okay. Otherwise, we're gonna get down and move. A lot of our stands are just set up where it's either a morning stand or either an evening stand, where you know you can get into an area in the morning you can't get out of that area later you know and or the deer aren't going to be there later so that's kind of the way i think about it and this is another page i'm stealing on jeff's playbook i've worked for the guy for years so this is just kind of something that's been ingrained in my head is scoring your day is basically the way i i like to think about it in the morning if possible of getting a 10 out of 10 in the morning you got a couple points middle of the day based on just random rut movement and then your evening sit. So you want to have a high score in the morning. You want to have a high score in the evening. And so deer are moving back to bedding in the morning, out of bedding in the evening. A lot of those are different areas on how you can access it. So I I guess to kind of answer your question, I think about it on a situational basis. The other day we went into a stand way in the back of our property. We're sitting there. We're about to get down. We had a two-year-old cruise through. Like, man, maybe they're going to be rolling midday. Maybe we should stay. So this is after we finished our coffee. This is after we had already gotten into the snacks. And it's like, man, I, we have one bag of M&Ms and one fun-sized Snickers to get us through the day. You want to stay? <laughs> yeah, we'll stay. So we ended up, we were up on a ridge in an area where the wind was no longer going to be good for the rest of the day, but we could hop down and move. We moved, I think, 80 yards into another stand to get into where wind would be better for the evening once the thermals change and they're going downhill. And we starved. We, we, it honestly wasn't that bad. It was a good day. We had a, we had a great time up there. Um, we did not see the deer that we were expecting to until five o'clock so we sat there all day thinking man he's here gonna be rolling through here yeah well the same two-year-old that we saw at 10 o'clock rolled through i think about three o'clock and um then we ended up seeing one of our shooters that night he's an old old deer and he uh was on the neighbors it's again one of them fringe pieces okay. he came to the fence to jump over it and he stood there and he's like i don't want to jump over this fence right here moved to another spot, looked at the fence, looked at our property. He said, I don't want to move over, jump over the fence right here. And he kept moving and he eventually worked away. And it's like, that deer wanted to get on our property so bad. And we just, <laughs> he just, where he went to, to jump, like he stared at our property. Like he wanted to get over there. He was munching. Like he wasn't alarmed in the least. And he's just like, I, I don't feel like jumping that fence right now. And he just I'm an old man. And, yeah. I mean, this deer looks like I, 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 I keep, referring to him as like the, the old yellow lab 
because he, he looks he has the gray in the face the droopy face and he's just just a turd of a deer i mean he might score 110 but i mean he's old and it's just kind of cool to see that and know yeah. that we're in the right area for that and that was on one of those all-day sits where it's like we risked it we went in there we stayed and we couldn't have gotten in there in an evening but we stayed there so we were able to just move a little bit stay there for the rest of the day and blow our wind into a good area i think there are stands that are obviously worth sitting all day um i think a lot a lot of times people are just doing it because that's what everybody does. And if you want to be hardcore and kill a good buck, that's what you got to do. And that's a lot of times not what you have to do. Right. And then, and I did watch Jeff's video on that. And essentially it's what, what he says is like that one o'clock to four o'clock or three o'clock frame is generally like dead. Um, it's generally doesn't have a whole lot of action going on. You can get lucky for sure. But we've sure. all had times where you're sitting yeah. there and, oh, one o'clock, all of a sudden that's where they're rolling through. So then you think that's yep. when you need to be there. And <laughs> I think it's it's really random and you have to be there on the perfect day. Now, looking at tomorrow, uh, October 30th, tomorrow, high pressure, colder day, low wind, deer out moving tonight. I think tomorrow's going to be one of those days. I think we might plan a similar setup where we're going to take in some extra snacks, extra coffee and if we see the movement like we're anticipating we will stay all day okay if we're not we're probably going to get out of there pick a different stand to get into in the evening yeah so i i am hunting tomorrow i'm getting there i'm getting to i have to get my kid out the door and then i'm getting to the property at 8 a.m <laughs> and i'm just rolling right, right on, into man. the tree until noon and then Heck i gotta yeah. have work meetings from 12 30 to four o'clock and then I'm driving, diving back in. So I'm hoping awesome. that I can make it work. <laughs> the heck yeah. This the is the no, time. This is it. I mean, yeah, this is what we live for. It's here. <laughs> yep. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much for hopping on Dylan. We both got to get off here. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you want to find Dylan, uh, breaking point TV is the Instagram and the Facebook and the YouTube. Um, and then it's at Dylan underscore lens, right? Yep. Two underscores. There's another Dylan lens that gets tagged in a lot of random shit. <laughs> <laughs> Look up awesome. Dylan lens. I'm sure you can pick out the guy with the red beard and find him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, and if you have camera questions, he's the man, like this dude runs cameras all year, all the time, spends a boatload of money on it. Ask him. Slide in the DMs. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, enjoyed listening to, to me and Dylan, please uh, find, a, find a way to rate or review this or follow us on Instagram or Facebook and uh, let us know you like this one. And, and if we skipped any topics, anything you'd like to know more about, please hit me up right now. It's October 29th, and I still have podcasts to go, and I can cover topic, topics that I haven't yet. All right. Catch you later, guys.